final Friday of September is upon us, and there are 344 days until there is another one. Perhaps the best thing to do is to think about today while also thinking about all of the times that are still waiting in the future. It's the mission of each edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement to provide a little context of where this community has been, where it is, and where it might go in the future. All while staying right here. I'm Sean Tubbs. On today's program, Albemarle County has three new questionnaires about draft language and their ongoing comprehensive plan update. An on-demand microtransit pilot in Albemarle County will launch on October 30th, and Albemarle supervisors got the details earlier this month. Charlottesville Police Chief Michael Conscious addresses the allegation of police brutality in Market Street Park that led to the recent lifting of the park's closing times. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, on October 11th at 6 p.m., the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society will host speakers who will give an introduction to the world of archaeological research at Monticello. The talk at the Center at Belvedere will provide an overview of work conducted near Thomas Jefferson's house, as well as off the mountaintop, and explain how the artifacts recovered from these excavations provide scholars with critical pieces of information about the people who occupied this landscape before and during Thomas Jefferson's lifetime. Artifacts from various Monticello sites will be made available for attendees to see and discuss after the talk. Visit the Center at Belvedere's website for more information or sign up for the event on Facebook. This presentation will be live-streamed and collected for future viewings. There are still aspects of Albemarle County's comprehensive plan update that I would like to write about, such as the Board of Supervisors' discussion of growth area management at their meeting on September 6, 2023. In the meantime, the official community engagement continues. Albemarle County has unveiled three new questionnaires related to the AC44 process. These are related to draft goals and objectives that have been formulated for three chapters of the plan. What's the difference between a goal and an objective? Here's some common language from all three questionnaires. A goal is a high-level and long-term direction to fulfill the vision and framework. An objective is a specific outcome or target that accomplishes a goal. There are five draft goals for environmental stewardship and several proposed objectives for each one. The format of the questionnaire allows the participant to review each before making their views known. The other surveys are for historic, scenic, and cultural resources, parks and recreation. If you're interested in talking to staff about these questionnaires, they will be available outside Lane Auditorium from 12.30 p.m. to 2 p.m. on October 4th as part of the Chat with a Planner series. For more on AC44, stay tuned. I'm going to get to those other discussions. The head of Charlottesville Area Transit had a message to the Albemarle Board of Supervisors earlier this month about the status of a long-awaited transportation initiative. Here is Director Garland Williams. We're working in earnest to get your microtransit project up and running. In a few months, vehicles branded as MicroCat will begin to carry passengers on an on-demand basis within two specific Albemarle growth areas. The service is expected to launch on October 30th, according to project manager with the firm Via. 
Here is Alejandro Merhanda. We are not only going to make sure that the service is at 100% when we launch on the 30th, but we're also going to work very closely with both the county and CAT to make sure that we are analyzing data, making improvements, and being as flexible as possible uh, to adjustments and the needs of the community. This plan has been in the works for several years, according to Deputy County Executive Trevor Henry. County funded a study several years ago in partnership with CAT and TJPDC around microtransit. We evaluated three areas, uh, including the two that we moved forward with. They are the U.S. 29 area, as well as Pantops. The county opted not to pursue microtransit to Monticello. The study led to a grant from the Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation that is going to pay for this one-year pilot. Um, it's called a demonstration grant. Uh, we, you know, the county certainly has skin in the game and just under 400000 as a local match. All of that work has been funded with um, Charlottesville Area Transit as our program manager. Charlottesville put out a request for proposals for firms to run the operation, and there were four responses. Henry said three of them were national companies, and the city selected VIA to deliver the project. Williams said the firm suggests they may be able to exceed the original scope without additional cost to the community. VIA has come on board and basically looked at it and said that with the available vehicles that they're going to supply, that they believe that they can make connections not just in the two areas, but the two areas will be connected. So if you're in Pantops, you will be able to travel to the 29 North Corridor and from the 29 North Corridor to Pantops. As part of the contract, VIA will provide vehicles, drivers, and the software needed to route the vehicles to where passengers want to go. Here is Jake Bortz with VIA. In addition to the software, um, our operational expertise, which comes from operating over 50 services um, all across the world and over 40 in the U.S., comes with our marketing team expertise. Marketing has been a big focus. We know that there can be a challenge in starting a new service. Bortz said the user experience with booking rides needs to be as easy to use as possible and will look like the interface that's used with Uber or Lyft. We know folks are familiar with that type of interface. And so what you would do is you would either tap on the screen or put in your pickup address um, or it can take your current location and automatically input that, select where you want to go, assuming that's in the zone or in the other zone um, and a ride that we would want to serve. You will receive a proposal. You can accept the proposal, which, of course, will be fare free at the launch of the program with flexibility later down the line. Sports said the interface will provide an estimated time until a vehicle arrives, the color of the vehicle, and the name of the driver. These will not be buses, but Toyota Sienna hybrids, some of which are wheelchair accessible. A good portion of the marketing will be through social media, according to Miranda. Then we're going to continuously drive optimization of, of engagement through a website that, we, that we're going to create for the, for the county. And that's going to be one of the main four pillars of how to put the word out there. The second pillar will be to work with community organizers to get the word out. Another pillar is to talk to the press. The system will be tested through October 22nd. It's when we make sure that... Uh, we're doing quality assurance and that the launch that we're about to put out to the community is in perfect shape before it goes live. People will also be able to call in to ask for service to a call center located in the United States. What questions do you have about how this works? Let me know and maybe I'll ask them during some of that testing period.
You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out. From October 2nd to 8th, WTJU's Jazz Marathon will fill the airwaves with a full week of round-the-clock jazz and blues specials. This is a great time to support the station with a donation to keep a platform for living and breathing jazz. WTJU's Jazz Marathon celebrates our local music scene every weeknight at 8 p.m. with five live jazz and blues performances. Don't miss the Charles Owens Trio, the Tina Hashemi Quartet, the Hard Modes, Afro Asia, and Baby Joe's Boogie Band. To learn more about what's playing when, visit WTJU for a schedule and details about this event and to learn more about what your donation might yield. That's WTJU.net. Thank you to WTJU for this shout-out. As September nears October, there's been a growing number of tents set up in the city of Charlottesville's Market Street Park. On September 20th, city manager Sam Sanders temporarily lifted closing hours in the park following allegations of police brutality earlier in the month. Charlottesville Police Chief Michael Cotches took to the podium in city space on Thursday to address allegations that were made at city council's second regular meeting of September. So on September 18th, while at the Charlottesville City Council meeting, several disgusting and disturbing allegations were made about Charlottesville police officers and their actions while dealing with unhoused individuals. Chief Cotches said there were two specific allegations, with one from September 12th and one from September 16th. Both interactions involved officers being dispatched to Marcus Street Park after someone had called and complained about people sleeping in the park and pitching tents. Let's go back now and hear the way the allegations were made at that meeting. To set the tone, there were no major items on the regular agenda after council heard two items at their work session. Here's how Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook described the first section after Cultivate Charlottesville made a presentation on the Food Equity Initiative and before the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority presented their sustainability plan. We have a robust 4 o'clock agenda. The 6.30 agenda is a whole lot of nothing. About two hours later, the second public speaker picked up on Snook's comment. Here is Donna Gasapo. I'm going to yield my time to Ms. Deirdre Gilmore. Um, but since y'all were joking in your earlier session about how this session is a whole bunch of nothing, I hope you'll see fit to extend the public comments so everyone here who has something to share can do so. Gilmore is a former chair of the Public Housing Association of Residents who has spoken to council frequently over the years. There was an incident at the park where one of the officers kicked the young man that was sitting here. His name was uh, Key Marcus. He was trying to wake him up, but instead of gently touching him or just maybe using a nice stick, he decided to kick him. Gilmore also accused police of singling out a man named Roscoe Boxley when he was arrested on September 12th because he was black. Arrest records show Boxley was charged that night with both trespassing and violating the terms of his probation. 
Gilmore also blamed city council for an overall societal problem. And I'm going to say this to you. Y'all to be ashamed of yourself for there to be 260 people sleeping on the streets of Charlottesville with all this development that's going on. Later in the public comment period, Casapo returned to speak for a second time. In a city where white settler colonizer descendants disproportionately thrive in relation to everyone else who lives and works here, we are unsurprised that your police forces, who we know to be here to protect the interests of the wealthy elite and not for the safety of anyone else, as you all try to claim, we are unsurprised that your police forces are targeting our black and unhoused neighbors for harassment, arrest, and violence. Casapo was one of three people arrested for disrupting the first city council meeting after the Unite the Right rally and subsequent aftermath in August of 2017. Four months later, council agreed to create the Police Civilian Review Board in response to emphatic public comment periods. Gilmore would later be one of its members. Near the end of her comments, Casapo called for people to be vigilant of the police. Get trained in cop watch and other forms of bystander training so you can assist your neighbors when they are being harassed by the police. Two days after Gilmore and Gasapo spoke, city manager Sam Sanders temporarily eliminated closing times for Market Street Mark pending an investigation. Let's go back now to the September 28th press conference and hear from Chief Michael Kotchis respond to the public comments. One of the allegations that was made during the meeting was that our officers have been, and I quote, targeting black, unhoused individuals with violence. Another allegation was that a Charlottesville police officer assaulted an unhoused individual by kicking him while on the ground. I've heard several descriptions of this event, such as the officer was, quote, kicking him like a football, end quote, and kicking him in his chest, end quote. Kotchis noted that no complaints were made to the Charlottesville Police Department, nor the Charlottesville Police Civilian Oversight Board. After hearing Gilmore and Gasapo's allegations, Kotchis contacted Commonwealth's attorney Joe Platania to investigate the body camera footage. The allegation of an assault must be referred to the Commonwealth attorney as it's a crime. Mr. Platania and his assistant reviewed the footage and immediately determined that the contact with the individual in question was incidental to the lawful discharge of the officer's duties, reasonable under the law, and did not rise to the level of battery. City parks all have closing times and overnight camping is not allowed. This was challenged in the fall of 2011 with the Occupy Charlottesville movement. That ended with the arrest of 18 people on December 1st of that year after a temporary permit expired. Kotchis said on September 12, 2023, officers were called to the park in response to complaints from nearby residents. Officers arrived and found several tents that had been set up. Officers advised those in the park that the park closed in a few minutes and that they would need to pack up their belongings once the park closed. While waiting for the items to be packed up, one individual exited a tent and set up a chair in the walkway. The individual sat in the chair and stated, quote, you're about to make an arrest tonight, end quote. Kacha said this individual insisted on being arrested. After 11 p.m., when the park closed, the officer advised the individual that he could avoid being arrested if he would just leave the park like everyone else was. The individual refused to leave the park at that time. He was arrested without incident. Let's hear from some of that exchange. We don't got nowhere to go. Nowhere at all. Have you not tried the Salvation Army? No, I wasn't 
talking about a salvation army. You think about people out here fucking giving a salvation army? We're not here to do no motherfucking negotiating. These are the terms. You're going to lock me up right now because I ain't going nowhere. And the only way I'm going somewhere is if you lock me up. I'm going to be heard one way or another. Sure, I get that. And if it comes to that, we absolutely will. What I'm asking yeah, you is... Yeah, well, you don't have to have no, we don't have to have no discussion about it because you're going to. So are you telling me you're refusing I'm to leave? I'm telling you, I'm not going anywhere. You have one minute. I don't have any minutes. You know already. Foxley was defiant before the arrest. You can review this incident yourself in the video posted to Facebook at about 15 minutes and 30 seconds into the stream. Conscious said a second incident took place on September 16th when police were once again called to the park. Officers encountered people there just after closing time. These individuals were white, black, and Latino. Officers approached each of them and made them aware of the park being closed and that they would need to be given some time to collect their belongings and leave the park. At one point, officers approached an individual where it is alleged that an officer had assaulted him by kicking him. The officers approached and asked him to wake up, which he did. The officers told him the park is closed and that he needed to pack up his stuff and leave. This contact can be seen at 22 minutes and 7 seconds or so in the video. The exchange is also audible in the audio version. Conscious said the officers went on to talk to tell others that they had to leave the park, but noticed that the man went back to sleep, but this time had a blanket over his head. Officers attempted to wake him up again, but received no response. At this point, one of the officers touched the heel of the person's foot with his own foot to wake him up. He woke up. He eventually packed his stuff and left the park. Kotchis said calls responding to the unhoused are complex and that he has ordered a review of training protocols related to calls for service for that population. He acknowledged that more needs to be done by everyone to address systemic issues. The officers spoke of the frustration of having to send people on their way with nowhere to go. Our officers are human beings, just like the folks in that park and their frustration with the systems and programs that continue to fail these communities was palpable, and I share their frustration. During the press conference, Conscious said other places in Virginia where he has worked had more community services. I've worked in two other jurisdictions, the city of Alexandria and the town of Warrington. Both had a 24-hour shelter with wraparound services, and I've never been in a jurisdiction that hasn't had either, and we don't have to conclude this article, here are some pieces of information, none of which is complete. I very much would like to update every single one of these stories. Charlottesville's budget for fiscal year 24 includes $67,000 for a new homelessness services coordinator, a position that will be in the Office of Equity and Inclusion. A partnership between three groups is in the early stages of developing the former Red Carpet Inn on Premier Circle into an 80-unit supportive housing facility similar to the crossings at 4th Street. As part of this project on US-29, the Piedmont Housing Alliance will build an additional 60 units of below-market housing. Council approved a rezoning on August 7th that will allow the Salvation Army on Ridge Street to expand from 58 beds to 114 beds. Pacham is seeking applicants for their upcoming season of cold-weather emergency homeless shelters. The season runs from late October to April 
and they need between 15 to 20 people. And finally, the executive director of the Haven appeared before council on September 18th to ask for them to waive property taxes for the property so that owner Tom Shadiak will transfer the land and building to the nonprofit. That will allow them to ask for public funding for repairs and other capital improvements. That is the end of this program and number 583 and another week has ended and I will aim to have the next regular installment of the show out on Monday with an update on where the city's zoning code is following two planning commission work sessions and one city council event. I still need to do that research for the week ahead, which comes out on Sunday. Town Crier Productions is at this moment a one-person operation dedicated to covering what I can and to direct you, the reader or listener, at as many primary sources as I can include. All of this is supported by readers through paid subscriptions through Substack, revenue through Patreon contributions, and a pair of sponsors. If you would like to join any of these, your funding will go to help me keep going and to hopefully keep improving as I work towards number 584, number 632, number 709, and the one after 909. Also, I keep forgetting to thank Vrocky. Thank you, Vrocky, for the rocking music. Goodbye. See you next time. <laughs>